Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. We have a special holiday this week. I know you didn't drive as far as you drove to hear me give you that piece of news because you're getting prepped for it. Uh, it's on Thursday. And I don't want to get on a soapbox because we have too much of that kind of thing, especially on social media. But it does seem to me that the more self-absorbed our culture gets, the more we forget about God, the less we celebrate holidays. We definitely know this with Christmas. I mean, you know, we'll get into that discussion about happy holidays versus Merry Christmas. But I think it's also affecting Thanksgiving because if there is no God, who do we express gratitude to? So it's no wonder that Thanksgiving is changing personalities in our broader culture. In fact, a lot of media will now call it Turkey Day instead of Thanksgiving. And the focus will be on food. The focus will be on football. I don't guess there's anything particularly wrong with that. It's just that we have another day that our founders set up to honor God, and yet he's being forgotten on his day. And I, I don't know if men understand this, but I'm guessing that most women do because men tend to be forgetful. And so for all of you who are married or in a relationship, you know what it's like perhaps to have your birthday forgotten, to be ignored on your birthday, for your husband, the guy in your life, to just treat an important day in your world as though it doesn't matter. Um, a lot of women know what it's like to have your husband forget your anniversary and just be oblivious. Sometime back, I came across a story. You know how we are in our, our, our days with uh, smartphones. And by the way, how did they ever get to be called smartphones? If there ever was an oxymoron, that's it. <laughs> but I mean, we, we pretty well know what it's like in the culture to be sitting across from somebody and that person be totally absorbed in their phone, getting useless information and leaving you alone. And, and here you are at a table and you're like, I'm here. Well, there, there was a woman who was feeling this because her husband was always lost in her smartphone every morning when he came to breakfast. It was like she wasn't even there. So she said to him one morning, I'll bet you don't even know what day this is. Typical guy. He snapped. Sure I do. At 10 o'clock that morning, two dozen red roses arrived. At 11.30, there was a courier with a large box of imported chocolates. At 2 o'clock that afternoon, there was a box from Nordstrom's with a designer dress. And so he was really full of himself when he came home that day, and he said, I made this a big day, didn't I? She said, yes, you did. It's the best Groundhog Day I've ever had in my life. <laughs> but seriously, though, a lot of people will miss Thanksgiving this week, but not us not new springers, because you know three things. Number one, you know that you have a lot to be thankful for. And that's not just for Thursday. That's for the other 364 days too. We have a lot to be thankful for. And then secondly, we know that gratitude is really important to God. In the New Testament, there's a list of sins that will be prevalent in the last days as we move into like the tribulation period. We're not going there. Jesus is coming for us. But still, we, we understand that things are going to get a lot darker morally and spiritually. And there's this list of horrible sins that people are going to get into right before Jesus returns. You read that list and all of a sudden you come across the word unthankful. 
In other words, when the Bible talks about how dark things are going to be before the return of Christ, ingratitude makes God's hot list of especially bad sins. Hey, when Jesus was on the earth, you've probably heard the story how he healed 10 men with leprosy, and only one of them came back to thank him. And Jesus noticed that. He asked the one who returned, where are the other nine? So we're going to be thankful this week because we know, number one, we have a lot to be thankful for. Number two, we understand that gratitude is important to God. But there's a third thing. Psychology is really getting into the understanding that there's a correlation between gratitude and psychological and emotional health. I've really been intrigued by a lot of these studies, and I want to give you seven. There are more benefits of gratitude that have been found with peer-reviewed studies. But I want to give you some of the benefits of gratitude that psychology is teaching us. A 2008 study said, number one, there's enhanced well-being, deeper relationships. A 2003 study noted that there was improved optimism. A 2011 study says there was increased happiness, stronger self-control, better physical and mental health. And from a 2015 study, one of the most intriguing aspects of gratitude and its benefit on emotional and psychological health it's been determined that there is stronger neurologically-based morality. In other words, there's a correlation between gratitude and the way we behave and the way we live our lives. Perhaps that's one of the reasons why we're in such a moral, a moral slime pit in America is because people have forgotten to be grateful for the good things that God does in our lives. So we're not going to miss Thanksgiving. We have a lot to be thankful for. We know it's important to God, and it's even psychologically beneficial. So even if you're on the periphery of a relationship with God, there are good reasons to be thankful. But today I want to narrow the focus in this little message. With all the things that we have to be grateful for, I want to talk to a subgroup of those of you who are here or watching online or on television. And if you're not part of this subgroup, just file this away because my guess is, in fact, forget guess, you're going to be part of this group sometime. I want to talk to all of you who've been in a bad place. I want to talk to those of you who've been through some really bad times. Bad enough to where you thought that maybe life as you know it was going to be over with. But God brought you, and here's our word. This is just a one-word title for today's message. God brought you through. God brought you through. You were there. And now you're here, and God has brought you through. If you think about the songs that we did today, most of the songs had that word through in them. A few moments ago, you sang the most famous song in the Christian world, which is Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. I never get tired of singing it. And you know, I love the verses so much, it's kind of hard to pick which is my favorite verse. Verse 1 says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. We love that verse. And then verse 2, it was grace that taught my heart to fear, and then grace my fears relieved. That's a great verse. And then we end Amazing Grace with what you just sang a few moments ago. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. But maybe I'm just getting old, and because I'm getting old, I've come to the place now that I can barely sing the third verse without crying. And it is my favorite verse. It begins with our word, through many dangers, toils, and snares. I have already come. It's grace that's brought me safe thus far. Oh, I get chills when I say that line. It's grace 
that's brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. I love that verse. I mean, the thing of it is, all of us here today come from all different kinds of life circumstances. Some of you are in your teens and 20s, and some of you are, let's just say, a little bit older. (laughs) And you've been through things, and that's what we're talking about today. You've been through things that you thought was going to change your life in a way that you would never recover from. And yeah, maybe you did go through hard times, and maybe you're not exactly the same person. Maybe it did some damage to you, but you know what you can say as you are here today, those of you who are here on our campus or watching online, you can say, you know what? Thank God I'm here. I'm here. I made it to this place. God has brought me through. So again... I want to talk to those of you who sometime back you experienced something so dark it had the power to redefine your life in a negative way, but God brought you out. You came through. And today in the house of God, those of you who are here, you could testify. You can testify. You have a story to tell. And you can say that God brought me through. You know, I, I want to take you to Psalm 5015 because we're about to do something that's a little out of character at New Spring Church. You know, we're all Midwesterners here. We're a little bit more on the reserve side. I get that. I am too. But in the Psalms, in Psalm 50 verse 15, the Bible says this. God said, call on me when you're in trouble. Is there anybody here who called on God when you're in trouble? God said, call on me when you're in trouble and I will rescue you and you will give me glory. See, the thing of it is a lot of us called on God when we're in trouble and he rescued us, but we forgot to give him glory. So I'm going to ask you to do something. It might be a little awkward and a little uncomfortable, but if you're here today and God have brought, has brought you through something, you were there and you didn't know for sure what was going to happen, but now today as you are here, God has brought you through. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and give God glory for bringing you through. That's a pretty large subset of you this morning. Thank you. Thank you so much. This sermon is for you. And you say, Mark, I couldn't stand today. Well, here's the deal. Sooner or later, we'll all go through it because there are three groups of people here. There are people going through a crisis, people who've been through a crisis, and people who are going to go through a crisis. So that's going to be all of us before we get through. This little message is based on the word through, and it's a common theme in the scriptures in Psalm 66, 12, the Bible says, we went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And some of you are thinking about the most famous through in the Bible. Psalm 23, the fourth verse, even when walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid because you are close beside me. But today, I want to take you to one of my favorite psalms and my favorite through in the Bible. It's Psalm 84, and right now, I'm just going to read you the whole scripture, and then we'll go back and we'll take it apart line by line. So here we go. Here's the whole scripture. Blessed or happy are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on a pilgrimage as they pass, hello, here's our word, as they pass through the valley of Baca. They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God. So let's take it apart. Here we go. Let's go to verse 5. Blessed 
are those whose strength is in you who have set their hearts on a pilgrimage. Okay, let's put this in 2021 language. These are men, these are women who some time ago decided they were going to set their hearts, they were going to dial their hearts to pursue God. These are people who said, we want to know God. We want to experience God. We want to, we want to live with God in our lives. And, and we, want to, we, we want to experience God in a way that's transcend, transcendent. Now, that's great. But verse 6 kind of throws us a curve because it juxtaposes against those who have decided to follow God the problems that we sometimes go through. Because it says in verse 6, they passed through the valley of Baca. Now, if we read that a few moments ago, and that was an unusual word, Baca, it means weeping or crying. So let's make sure we get that juxtaposition. These are people who've decided to follow God. They said, we want to get to know God. We want to experience God. But the next thing you know, they, they, they experience something that seems incongruous with their decision. They go through a valley of weeping. They go through a valley of tears. Well, I think it's important for us in the face of the so-called prosperity gospel, I think it's important for us to realize that God's people go through hard times. And even though we know God, it does not exempt us from going through difficult times. We live in a broken world. And you say, well, Mark, if that's the case, then I don't want to be a God follower. Well, I notice that everybody goes through difficult times. Christopher Hitchens was one of the most well-known non-theists of our time. And he died with cancer. He wound up dying with the same cancer that a pastor friend of mine died from. So all of us are going to go through hard times. But here we understand that people who have set their hearts to follow God sometimes go through really difficult seasons. But I love the way the New Living Translation puts it. It says, these people who have set their hearts on a pilgrimage to get close to God, they walk through the valley of weeping. Why is that significant? Because when these people go through experiences that are very dark, faith and the promises of God make these people see the valley as a stop along the way and not their final destination. Am I talking to a woman here who's a God follower and you're in the valley of weeping right now? And it can feel like, and of course Satan will do everything he can in his power to make you feel like this is your destination. But the Bible doesn't say they walk into the valley of the shadow of death. They walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The Bible doesn't say they walk into the fire. They walk through the fire. The Bible doesn't say they walk into the flood. They walk through the flood. And these people have set their heart on a pilgrimage to get close to God. And they go into the valley of weeping, but it's not their destination. They're walking through. Now... <laughs> we sort of expect that we know what the Bible is going to say. Here, you know, we sort of expect the Bible to say these are people that have set their heart on a destiny to get close to God, and they walk through the valley of Baca, and they make it. Now, they make it out. That's what we expect to see. But what we're going to talk about the rest of this message is what the Bible says. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs, or I like a better translation that says they dig a well. Oh, let's make sure we get that. These are people, these are Christ, this is a God-following woman who when she's going through the valley of Baca says it's not just enough to make it through. I need to dig a well. Here is a man who's going through an experience that has the potential on paper to wreck his life, and he's like, 
I'm going to dig a well. See, instead of being changed by the valley, they changed the valley. Oh, could I say that one more time? Instead of being changed by the valley of tears, they changed the valley of tears. Here's what they're thinking. They're thinking something like this. If I had my choice, I would never go through this valley. If I had my, if I had my wish, I would, my marriage would not have failed. If I had what I wanted, my kid would have never gone off the rails and gotten on drugs. If I'd had my way, I would have never lost my job. If, if I had my way, I would have never gotten this illness. If, if it were up to me, I would not have this emotional disorder. I would not choose the valley of weeping. But if I have to go through this valley, I refuse to let it be meaningless. If I've got to go through this place of weeping, I refuse to let it be for nothing. It's got to mean something. It's got to have a purpose. Time out. Because even for those who might say this has got to mean something, there are two very divergent options. In all my years of pastoring, which now I guess is what, 40, 45 I've seen people who have said when they went through a valley, it's got to mean something. But what they decided to do at that, point, at that moment was to build a monument. And from that point on, from that point of that valley, it's just a quest to get everybody in their lives to come back into that valley with them and stand beside the monument. It's like what I went through was so painful. I've got to build a monument to it so that everybody in my life has to come back to this monument. And we understand that because there is a time. There's a time for sympathy. There's a time for monuments. There's an appropriateness with monuments. But these are people that never get past the monument. I'll tell you a story. When I was a teenager, First of all, let me back up and say my dad was a pastor, but my dad was from the country, and so even though we were in a large Texas city, we were in Fort Worth, our church was like a country church in the city, and not like New Spring. We did hymns with a hymn book. It was very traditional. I tell you that for a reason, because there was a seminary student in our church who was also an anchor for the hottest rock and roll station in Fort Worth, Fort Worth, Dallas. We wound up live at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning on the most powerful rock and roll station in Dallas-Fort Worth. And I fought through the years for all those hippies who got stoned the night before and woke up on Sunday morning and turned on their radio station. I was like, this is a really bad trip. <laughs> if you're not an old hippie, you won't know what that means. <laughs> but anyway, we, we had a worship service and dad would preach and have music. But I remember at the end of one of the services, there was a guy who was standing by the back door. And when dad went out to greet him, he told dad that he and his wife had been listening to us on the radio and that his wife had died suddenly and unexpectedly that week. And he, they didn't have any kids. This man and his wife were so close. And he asked dad if dad would do the funeral. And dad said, absolutely. Well, after the funeral, things kind of got quirky because this guy just started showing up at our house every day. And that's okay because my mom and dad were always very nurturing and it was not a big church, but, you know, sort of like everybody knew everybody. And so we were 
it was not uncommon for people just to show up to our house and have dinner with us. I mean, my mom always cooked more than, than we were going to eat because that was probably going to happen. So I wasn't really surprised that he showed up the first week and the second week and the third week. But the thing of it was, every time he came over to the house, he wanted to tell us the story. And it was the same story, word for word. It was the story of his wife and their relationship and how she had died and the difference it made in his life negatively. Well, we were so sympathetic. And the first year of him coming by almost every day and telling us the story, I did my best to sit there and listen like I'd never heard it before. But weeks turned to months, months turned to years, and for a decade, this guy, I mean, I, it was, he, he, this probably happened when I was about 14 or 15. When I was a sophomore in college, he would come to our house every day. He would tell the story. It's like his life stopped at that moment. And he wanted everybody in his life to come back to that monument to his suffering. You know, back in the days before we had all the sophisticated electronics that crime solvers have today, back in the day, the 30s and 40s, when a detective wanted to find out when a car might be moved in the middle of the night and the detective didn't want to watch the car all night. They used to have cheap wristwatches that they would put behind the tire of the car so that when the car backed out, they would know when the car left. And I think about that sometimes because I've met people through the years, it's like their life stopped at the moment when they went through. And they said, it's going to mean something. And I totally get that. And yes, indeed, there's a place for sympathy. But they decided we're going to build a monument And some of you know what that's like because you know somebody in your life that what he wanted to do, what she wanted to do over and over was to bring everybody back to the hurt that they experienced. And when they wear out one group of friends, they get a new group of friends and they bring them back to the monument. We have a phrase for that. We call it perpetual victimhood. But then there are other travelers. While the tears are still falling down their cheeks, they start thinking about others who are going to travel the road. And the valley of Baca, I should let you know, was in the middle of a desert. And there are travelers who say, this has got to mean something. If I have to go through this valley, if my home is going to break up, if my health is going to suffer, if my emotions are going to be wrecked, this has got to mean something. And instead of building a monument, while the tears are still falling down their cheeks, they say something like this to themselves. It would have been so nice if there was a well here. I mean, when I was going through this dry place and I was spiritually parched, it would have been so nice if there was a well here. There wasn't one for me. But what if there was a well here for those who come behind me? This has got to mean something. And instead of building a monument, I'm going to get my shovel out while while I'm still going through the valley of Baca and the tears are still coming down. I'm going to get my shovel and I don't even know if I'm going to get to water or not, but I'm going to dig a hole here for a well. Many years ago, we had a lady in our church. Her name was Lois Tommy. Her husband had been the director for the Union Rescue Mission, which is one of our projects for Project Generosity, but this is back in the early 80s. And Lois got a particularly virulent kind of cancer. And the doctors told her that she was going to die. And Lois has told me many times, and this is long, she's in heaven a long time ago now, But she told me many times in the years that I had the privilege of being her pastor, she said, you know, Christians came over and they tried to comfort me, but the things they said, they didn't understand what it was like to go through the valley I was going through. And she said, oftentimes the things they said they thought were going to be a comfort were actually like a whip to whip me. 
She said many of the things that pastors told her at the time, they meant well, but she said they had no understanding what it was like to go through cancer. And here's the thing, even when she didn't know that she was going to get well, which thankfully she did, and God gave her two more decades. But Lois said, this has got to mean something. This has got to mean something. I, I went through this valley and there was no well for me. But what if for the women who come behind me, who have the same kind of cancer, what if there was a well? She decided she was going to start just a small group. She called it Victory in the Valley. Well, today, for those of you who are Wichitans, you probably know that that is now a national organization. Thousands and thousands of people who've gone through cancer have been blessed by Victory in the Valley. They've had comfort that wasn't there for Lois. And now that organization provides lodging for families who come to have cancer treatment from outlying areas. Lois said, it's got to mean something. It's got to mean something. There was no well here for me, but I'm going to dig a well. Forgive me for being personal for a moment, but I can't even go here without thinking about my mom and dad. My dad pastored the same church in Texas for 50 years, and then he came here to New Spring and was our care pastor until his health no longer allowed him to do it. My dad was not a theologian. I mean, my dad was the most ordinary guy you ever saw in your life. He came from a farm background, from the from Central Texas, the hill country. I don't think my dad had ever taught a class. My dad had never preached a sermon. But in his mid-20s, he moved from being a farmer to he learned painting. He learned like painting houses. But in a revival service in Burnett, Texas in 1951, my dad committed his life to gospel ministry. He was about the most unlikely candidate for ministry you can imagine. But he and my mom, my older sister Betty... And my brother Roger went to Fort Worth, Texas for my dad to go to seminary. He'd only been there a few weeks. <laughs> he certainly didn't have any theological training. Like I said, just been, I mean, he was, he, the only way that he could keep food on the table for my mom and him and my brother and sister was painting houses. In those days, there was no HGTV. There was no Lowe's or Home Depot. Definitely wasn't any internet, Craigslist or anything like that. The only way he could get jobs was to go down to the lumber yard and wait for somebody to come in who had a project. And people would come in, they'd want a house painted or a room painted, and dad would just wait there. And then he would go out, and then he would come back to the lumber yard, clean his brushes, and go home. Well, I can't. My dad had only been in Fort Worth for a few weeks. And a man walked into the lumber yard, the Berry Street lumber yard, right at I 35 and Berry Street in Fort Worth. And the man said to the owner, hey, we've got four families over here in this little community and we're looking at starting a church and we need a preacher. And the guy, as a joke, and I'm serious, as a joke, he thumbed, his, thumbed over his shoulder to my dad who was cleaning his brushes, 25 years old. I don't think he'd ever preached a sermon in his life. And he said, there's a preacher back there. The man went back to my dad and said, well, we'd like to have you come preach. That was the last Sunday of August in 1951. Fifty years later, he left that church. He and my mom moved to Kansas. And there were people, there were, there were a lot of people in that church who were grandparents who were kids when my dad went. But that's not what I want to talk to you about. That was when dad was 25. When mom and dad were 29, they went through a valley of tears. 
my brother Roger, this is long before I was born, but my brother Roger got brain cancer. And he, he diminished and died really right before my parents' eyes over the next few months. My mom handled grief by just going to the Word of God and listening to preaching on the radio. But my dad, being a man, handled his grief differently. This is a different day back in, the, in those days. This is 1953. And polio was raging. But in those days, a minister could just go from room to room to room in the hospital. And the way that my dad handled the loss of my brother was he would go to All Saints Hospital or John Peter Smith or Harris, St. Joseph. And he would just go from room to room and minister to young moms and dads who oftentimes had a kid in an iron lung. By the time I came along and started growing up, I started noticing that my dad had a unique ability to connect with people who were going through difficult times. My dad died in 2013, but some of you have been here long enough that you remember him and you remember that. I never saw anybody who could make a hospital visit like my dad. I never saw anybody who could pray with people who were going through hard times like dad. I went with him many times when I was a teenager when someone had passed away suddenly. I've been with him in the funeral home. I've been with him in the hospitals time after time, and I've watched dad minister to those families. He had a unique ability to connect on a visceral and spiritual level. And the one thing that I've learned from talking to him and talking to other family members, something, something changed in my dad when Roger died and he handled his grief. Because he said, Roger's, Roger's death has got to mean something. If I'm going to go through this valley of tears, then I'm going to dig a well. And here's the weird thing about this. Some of you who were here at the time drank from that well decades later. We're talking about gratitude and for those of us who are God followers, and we're starting to get this picture. See, that's the thing God has brought us through, but he didn't intend for us just to wipe our brow and say, wow, that's cool, I made it through. Grateful people dig wells. It's verse 6 that I've had a hard time preaching. I mean, this is the third time I've preached this this weekend, and I cannot wrap my mind around this. I'm just going to do the best I can because, see, here's the thing. When these people dig wells, they're just digging a hole. I mean, they're just barely getting through themselves, and they're like, you know what? A well needs to be here. I'm not even sure I'm going to get to water, but they dig a hole for a well, and the Bible says the rains come, verse 6, and cover or fill those holes. It's like Lois Tommy. She said, something's got to happen here. And she just started a small group. And now look at what Victory in the Valley became. I remember back during the first George Bush presidency, he named Victory in the Valley as one of his thousand points of light. Lois didn't know it was going to happen like that. She just dug a hole. She just said, I'm going to start something here. And then God came and filled up the hole with water. And then verse 7 says, they go from strength to strength. I don't know who I'm talking to. I mean, I know that a lot of you stood and said you'd had this experience. But who am I talking to? Where's the woman here that I'm talking to? And the thing about it is when you went through the valley of weeping, you thought, I'm going to come out of this, but I'm not going to be right. I'm going to come out of this, but I'm going to be diminished. And on paper, it sure, sure looked like that. 
But then when you came out of the valley, you're surprised because you know what? I'm not the same person I was when I went through that. I thought it was going to shrink me, but instead I'm stronger than I was when I went into the valley. Well, that's what the Bible says. They go from strength to strength. You know the irony, and I don't think I said this in the other services. I've been through some valleys. I'm not even going to go into some of the things that I've been through. Not that I've been through things. Some of you have been through bigger things. But there have been times when I just thought this is going to be the end of me. It's going to be the end of everything that's precious to me. And yet the irony is it's what God did in that valley that equipped me to do greater things than I ever dreamed of or imagined. It was, see, here's the thing. For those of you who've watched the ministry that God has given me through the years, you could think, wow, Mark just sort of sailed on clouds and he just got stronger and stronger and stronger as he stood on stage and preached and led a great church. I want to tell you something. If there's anything in my life that's ever been a blessing, by and large, it was in the dark places. It was in the dark places. Because there were, you know, what what happened in the dark places is I quit being full of myself. I quit believing that I had to be the be-all and the end-all, and I had to impress people. When I went through the valleys, I learned, you know what, here's the thing about going through a valley. You're just so empty that you're just saying, God, if it's not for you, I'm not going to make it. And then God comes along, and his power is infused in your life. And when you come out of the valley, you're stronger than you were when you went in the valley. Some of you don't know what that's like yet. But you'll know someday. I love verse 7, and I'll close with that. It says, they go from strength to strength to, look at this, each appears before God. Heads up. Who are these people? These are the people that set their course to get close to God. And they go through the valley, and they say, i got to dig a well. And then God comes and fills the well with water, and they get stronger. And that's life. And the Bible says, till each appears. Put it in modern terms. They make it. They make it. And if you've been through a hard time like this, you know what it's like to come out. And you're like, God, with you, I made it. I made it. And I really believe that when the time comes for our death, we're going to open our eyes in heaven, look straight into the face of Jesus and say, I made it. I made it. I made it. That's what this little sermon is about. It's about making it through and getting to know God better than we ever have before. So a lot of things to be thankful for this Thursday. But as I said, I wanted to shrink the focus of this message and just focus on, for all of us, God brought through. This Thursday, give him glory, give him praise. God, I was sick, but you brought me through. God, my heart was broken, but you brought me through. God, I couldn't see daylight, but you brought me through. God, I deal with anxiety, but you brought me through. God, I deal with depression, but you brought me through. Through. I think it's one of my favorite words in the English language. Through. God brought us through. Would you just bow your heads with me for just a moment? I know we're a few moments over time, but I can't finish this message today without giving you an opportunity. If you've never invited Jesus Christ to come into your life, then you've never experienced the power that gives you that ability to go through. The Bible simply tells us that we're all separated from God, that our sin 
created that distance, that separation. And none of us is good enough to go to heaven on our own. But God loved you so much. That's what Christmas is about. God loves you so much that he sent his son into the world. And he lived the life that you can't live. You know, oftentimes we talk about being saved by the death of Jesus, and that's true. But we're also saved by his life. Because we can't live perfect. I can't be perfect for 30 minutes. And yet the Bible tells us that Jesus lived a perfect life, and then he took that perfect life and laid it on a cross. And the way God looked at it in those six hours that he hung on the cross, his blood paid for every sin. He took our hell for us. Without Jesus... I'd split hell wide open for eternity. I have no question in my mind. But Jesus took my hell for me, and he took your hell for you. And right now, God has a deal on the table. You know, when I was a kid playing baseball, I used to get a pinch hitter. That means if somebody was a better hitter or a better hitter against that pitcher, then someone could pitch hit for you, and someone could pinch run. And that's what God is asking us. He's asking us to let Jesus pinch hit for us. Let his life speak for us. Let his death on the cross speak for our sin. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a gift. We always say we're not into religion. We're into a relationship. And that relationship begins when you accept the free gift of salvation. So since it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, let me pray a prayer with you that calls on the name of the Lord. I'll pray it slowly, line by line, so you can decide if you want to say this to God. You don't even have to say it out loud. God knows what's in your heart. But here we go. Here we go, line by line. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe he arose. And since Jesus is alive... I want Jesus to be my savior and my king. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Somebody can say, well, Mark, I just prayed with you, but I don't have any idea what just happened to me. I understand that. Please, just with me another 30 seconds. If you just pray with me, I have a gift I want to give you. It's totally free. It will not cost you anything. I just want to take your first step with you in following Jesus. There's a New Spring Bible in the box like I preach from. And you say, Mark, I have a lot of questions. I know. I wrote a book called My New Walk with God. I have ADD and an anxiety disorder. I don't write long books. So uh, that book is in here to answer a lot of questions. There's also like a journal and some great coupons. Cost you nothing. You say, Mark, how do I get this? Just take your phone out right now, your smartphone. And text one word, PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000. And see these colors? You'll see these all around the campus. They're info centers. And if you go back there, they'll be waiting for you. You say, Mark, I don't have my phone with me. Just go back and say, I prayed with Mark. That's all it'll take. They won't hassle you, bother you, ask for your routing number. They just want to give you this. Thank you for being here. Have a happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.